0: Hello, this is Peter Jonathan Robertson with the 27th episode from the PJ Archive. It's an interview with the artist formerly known as Cat Stevens, who enjoyed a series of hit singles and albums between 1966 and 1977 when he became a Muslim and soon after changed his name to Yusuf Islam and auctioned all his guitars for charity. In 1995, he returned to recording. And in 2003, the year in which he released a Best of Cat Stevens CD and did this interview with me, he performed live for the first time in a quarter of a century. So how much did he enjoy that? I did enjoy it, that's,
1: that's the good news. <laughs> it was obviously uh, quite, uh, what's the word, formidable task. You know, after 25 years, to get back on a stage like that in front of 40,000 people, I mean, you know, out of nowhere, if you like. Um, but it was, it felt very natural, very easy. And, uh, of course, we've been rehearsing with Peter Gabriel, that was, you know, so we've got that together. But, but the great thing was, I think, the reception was incredible, mm. really incredible.
0: Did you meet Mandela himself?
1: Yeah, the night before we had, there was a kind of an evening meal and everything, and, a uh, great man, obviously. He's he's the spark behind the whole, you know, the concert, which which gave it life and and, and made everybody like myself interested in in doing it.
0: How familiar is Mandela with your story, with you and your music?
1: I I wouldn't know how how deeply familiar he is with it, but he's he knows <laughs> of of my past and obviously my present because in South Africa, you know, I suppose the Muslim communities. Quite a strong community mm-hmm. and um, uh, influential in many ways. And the person he's shared the prison with right. for so many years is a Muslim. And so he, he, he was probably breaking fast with him and doing Ramadan and all sorts mm-hmm. of things. So he knows yeah. you know, a lot about yeah. through, through the cultural uh, contact that he had with uh, Osman, I think his name was.
0: Mm. So that's something you've just done. What have you got coming up? What's in the pipeline for you work-wise?
1: Well, we have a very... I mean, I have my label, which I enjoy running. Uh, it's the Mountain of Light label. And uh, right now we've got a new series of CDs coming out next year. One of them will be this a children's album, which I'm singing the title track, I Look, I See. Um, then there's... i got, I think, a little glow about that. Then there's the Night of Remembrance DVD, and things like that. And some other artists and compilations, which so I'm, I'm into that, my little label,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I enjoy. As far as other things are concerned, I mean, there's there's lots of interest at the moment because greatest. because of the greatest hits and also the Mandela thing. So there's a lot of people coming up, and they wanted me to do the Nobel thing, but it was just too soon after the. Uh, I thought we'll give it a rest. For a time, yeah, you know. Too soon after South Africa. Yeah. Right, okay. In a way.
0: Yeah. How well, how do you divide your working time between charity work that you do, teaching that you do, and the music by the way, I'm not a teacher. That's that's a myth. Oh, yeah. is it really? No, no, no. Come on, glad you cleared that. I know
1: because uh, it sometimes it appears uh, no. But what I'm I'm the kind of founder of the schools. Right. So that's that's my role. I'm a founder. I kind of help supply the money, right. help to buy the building. You know, and put the team together. I'm like mm-hmm. the but I'm just like behind the scenes. I'm petrified of coming across <laughs> kids. No, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no, no. Your, teaching is a whole different skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah It's a yeah. completely different skill. You've got to be a manager of people. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I'm more of an artist than I am a manager.
0: Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's always been reported that your royalties go into the schools to help fund them and everything. Is that true? Or yes,
1: yes. Well, yeah. for, for, for the early part of the. Uh, uh, the establishment of those uh, schools, it was reliant mm-hmm. on my, you know, charity. Now, I think uh, it's it's slightly more, I would say, balanced. It's the parents who are paying the fees. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we have one school paid uh, and also supported by the government, so that helps for that school, but not all the schools, so it's mm-hmm. the parents who...
0: It would appear, after a long absence, that Cat Stevens is emerging again. To what extent is that
1: true? Well, Cat Stevens is is a part of music history. Mm -hmm. And I think, rightfully so, he occupies an important place for the 60s and the 70s, and whatever the dreams of of that generation were, Um, he represents those those dreams. As far as You know my relation to them because I, I wrote those songs, um, and I evolved beyond those songs. But still, I like to look at them as as a document of my past, and and I think that um, and it's a valid message I think for today, Mm. particularly you know one of the reasons why we brought uh, we re-recorded Peace Train was because it was just so relevant again, in light of the whole. Uh, You know, world movement against the war in Iraq, or the proposed war at that time Mm. in Iraq. It was just like going back to you know the Vietnam, you know, back in the sixties. So,
0: how surprised are you by the continued interest in Cat Stevens and the music after all these years? One would have to ask
1: me: Was I ever surprised by my success in the early days? I wasn't really, because I expected that everybody should, at one point, at least appreciate. Some of the ideas I had. So, so today I think it's 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 very interesting that, and I I'm not surprised because I think that things go around in cycles. So it's not really a surprise. But you know the fact is that there are there's a whole new generation who would probably benefit from you know studying kind of, you know the, the, what happened in the 70s, uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, unfortunately, it's just not the same kind of world anymore.
0: With the greatest hits CD that I received, I got a wonderful DVD with it, yeah. which had some splendid footage from the seventies. Yeah, how did you feel looking back at that?
1: Um, looking back at that, I was quite impressed. <laughs> <laughs> quite
0: impressed. Is it like seeing a different person performing.
1: No, I mean, well, well, there is, you know, one of the miracles of my life is that I've I've gone through serious changes. Oh, absolutely. Not not just once. Yeah. You know. Uh, and so you've got my background before show business. You've got my first career, you know, where I was much more of a puppet, much more of a kind of a, you know, a, a, a product of the 60s, but being managed by external forces rather than having any real say. Then you've got the second part of the career where I, I, I came into my own uh, and, and, and began to freely explore my music and, and my thoughts. And then, of course, you've got you've got what we call the turning point, when in my life I realised I hadn't really lived, and that was the time I was exposed to Islam, way before any sort of big headlines or nasty political turmoils uh, connected with this, with Muslims or Muslim political situation, but with Islam itself as a pure spiritual message. And that was a great chance for me to get off my high horse and get down and start living.
0: Mm. What are the prospects of you performing full concerts as Cat Stevens again, full Cat Stevens concerts?
1: Well, whoever writes me a $20 million check, you know, <laughs> we're in business. No, I mean, they're, they're obviously it's, uh, it's something that a lot of people would like to see. and uh, But I have to think, consider my, you know, whether or not I can... Get into that anymore, but I, mean, I just did this AIDS mm. concert, and to be honest, I, I got all these reminiscences of um, past. And quite honestly, I, I could probably do without, mm. you know, the kind of touring uh, sagas. Mm. However, there's another side to it, and that was the positive message that we were giving. What was the idea about this? Mm. It was different from what I was doing before. Before it was like I was plugging an album. I was, you know, mm. um, I was on the road. Had to. Uh, you know, we had the entourage, we had the whole, uh, you know, Cat Stevens Limited.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, but this time, so that was the difference. And because of that, I mean, who knows, I can't say that I've got any definite ideas, but I'm, 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 I'm being offered uh, opportunities to do that again. I'm just thinking about whether or not I want to do it.
0: Have you actually been made big money offers to return a, to do a Cat Stevens concert? No. I'm
1: surprised. No, well, be money specific, at you.
0: No. How does it feel to know that even after all these years and you, you've been away, that you could still sell out anywhere, anytime? That must be incredibly important and flattering.
1: Well, it is in a way, uh, but you know, again, uh, is that the way I want to go? I mean, I, mm. I've got other ideas, which I mean, th- there are other projects, which are in a kind of de- developmental stage, and one of them is a musical.
0: Oh yes, yeah, so now you've, you've been
1: talking about musical since the late '60s. I know. Is this the same one? <laughs> no, we started no, 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 no. We had, we've had a few. Okay. A few cons- concepts come and go, but um, now this one's this one is, is is something I'm I'm looking at. Um, and it would be a, an interesting way of presenting the songs in a new format and if you like, if, uh, in a new context. Mm-hmm.
0: Are we talking about a musical similar to the one they got of Rod Stewart and Queen? in, uh, in the West I w- certainly,
1: certainly don't think it will be, right. will be uh, imaging them. Um, I, no, but this is more of a... Yeah, it would be the same thing that, if you like, that there the are well-known songs out there that people might want to see performed live in a different context. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we'd have the same kind of um, style at all, mm-hmm. necessarily.
0: Have you seen those ones?
1: Yeah, I saw Buddy Holly. Yes. And I, I thought, well, everybody loves Buddy Holly, yes. for my generation anyway, you know, he was like so important yeah. um, to the whole history of, of, of music. Mm. You know, Otherwise we would never learn those three chords. <laughs> 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 um, and then, you know, then you got Rod, well, well, you got hair, hair, yeah, yeah. if you look back, it was incredible, mm. uh, avant-garde, totally different, nothing ever wow. mirrored it again. Um, so you've got that, then the ABBA sort of mm. syndrome, mm. which is interesting, again, you've got people who, who who liked ABBA and now are willing to own up to it.
0: Mm. Are there any Cat Stevens songs that you will never perform again that you wouldn't want it for whatever reason?
1: Yeah, there there probably be, yeah, a number of them which uh, which I wouldn't even bother about now. But because
0: um, um, uh, <laughs> I was wondering about Morning Has Broken in particular because it's now a sort of Christian hymn or has been for a long time. Mm. Is that a difficult one for you?
1: No, because I think it's the the, the the words I was able to sing it in those days because I was a neutralist, and um, even though I was a believer in Jesus and a believer in in Buddha, uh-huh. you know, the, the words never specifically identified Jesus. Uh-huh. It was it was it was um, it was more a praise of God and His creation, which is what I can completely you know. It doesn't mean I haven't. I've, I've rejected Jesus now. As a Muslim, you have to... You know, I mean, there's no way you accept Jesus as, as as one of the, you know, primary messengers sent to mankind, mm. but within the context of all the messengers. So, so there's no rejection there of, of that. But I'm just saying that um, the song itself is, much, is very neutral in its mm-hmm. spiritual message. Yeah.
0: yeah, I agree. In the Independent on Sunday, quite recently, you were... Quoted as saying that you felt it might be blasphemous to pick up a guitar. Um, can you explain? Well, first of all, is that
1: true? is that true? Uh, <laughs> That's why I'd have to check the tape. Um, no, no. I think it was a. No, no, no. The, the word blasphemy is a specific. Um,
0: they said you you thought it might be.
1: <laughs> no, there's no way you can do. It. No, blasphemy is, is to be is is to revile, or to make a mockery of God. That's, that's basically what it means mm. so it was totally inappropriate or it was a misunderstanding okay. or a misrepresentation so wouldn't wouldn't say that no but um, because there is controversy in in Islamic uh, jurisprudence regarding the position of music well and more specifically about musical instruments um, that's why in the beginning in the early days I just simply stood away from it and I just played a very you know, safe uh, role in just um, eliminating musical instruments from my life altogether. But that didn't mean that music disappeared. And, and, and I suppose that's what recently I've been recording without instruments, but with mm. percussion, because that's the safe line. Mm. It's a safer line within the uh, judgments of, of many of the, uh, you know, you may say scholars or the interpreters of Islamic uh, you know, culture and, and, and law.
0: Although, as you've explained, your priorities and attitudes and all sorts have changed a great deal over the years, have you found it hard that some of your fans from yesteryear don't understand that they still want you to be the same person?
1: It's not hard for me. I just have a, um, a sympathetic string within me that, wants, that resonates for them, you know. Um, but it's just I haven't. Been able to do much about it apart from be honest and, and you know yeah. and sincere about who I am, what I what I believe, and how I'd like to, you know, help others in a more practical way these days. Mm. You know, rather than saying, "Ah, those songs are there anyway." That's the great thing about it is that they're still there for reference. And and and, and, and as you said, you know, are you surprised about it being almost uh, rev- they're being revived again? They're there to be revived, mm. you know, in a way. And we have a good, I think we have a good rapport with the old uh, fans. We call, I call them mes amis, <laughs> my friends, you know, my, my dear ones. And, uh, yeah, we we're, they understand, a lot of them do. Mm.
0: Do you feel your music is like a, a conglomeration of all your different... Cultural experiences, like, for instance, your your father was Greek separate mm. your mother was Swedish. You grew up partly in England, partly in Sweden. You moved to Brazil for a while. Do you feel that your music reflects that?
1: Yeah, of course, because music. I mean, it's it's a, it's it's a very indefinable thing as to where music comes from, or how one how your background and your experiences and your memories of songs, you know, how they affect your writing it's, it's obvious that it's got to so but I used to have a very wide range of uh, musical interest you know, from, and you know it's natural because your, your sister's got a, a record collection so I'm mm-hmm. listening to Paul mm-hmm. Bess, and Tchaikovsky oh. you know and then you've got the, the, the theatre next door which has you know King Kong from South Africa and uh, then you've got down the road you've got Antonio the, the Spanish dancer mm-hmm you know, and then you've got my father's Greek club, and the, and the Greek heritage, and then you've got the Swedish lullabies, you know, so I mean, I had a choice of everything, um, and then you've got Beatles coming along, you know, turning the whole thing around and giving, breathing new life into the, in, into the, into the world with their music.
0: Do you think your varied international experiences, certainly when you were young, made it hard for you to get a sense of belonging? Or you know, made it hard for even even to settle down in one place because you were, you moved around quite a bit.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean, that, that it's it's true that um, to try and locate my culture within all this diversity was was not easy.
0: Mm.
1: You know, and and so I was never really I didn't really belong to any particular monoculture. Mm. So, from that point of view, I was given an, uh, you know, a visa to go travelling and, uh, and that's what I feel people miss in what, what, when they interpret what I've done and what, how I've lived or how, you know, what, what, what choices I made in my life is that um, I broke through barriers that not many people have barriers of, of, you know, of, of prejudice Unfortunately, now I'm, in, I'm on one side which people are now looking with prejudice towards my position. Mm. And that's paradoxical. But it's a fact, which I live with, you know, but it's difficult. That's the most difficult thing because, you know, if, if you like, I used my choice, my freedom of choice. And and now I'm almost being blamed for it.
0: Mm.
1: Not belonging didn't mean, and it's, it's a kind of a, if you're going to be a judge, you must be dis- disassociated with the case mm, you can't have an interest mm. in who's going to win mm. you've got to go for what, what is right mm. what, is, what is true
0: you've had different names in your life how do you view those different names as different personas almost different people
1: uh, they're, they're just if you like uh, I mean I've had different signatures if you look at my early paintings you know, I go through different I, I was developing my signature mm. so at one time it was, you know, this, it was Steve, and another time it was SDG, Giorgio. Then it was uh, Steve Adams, and, you know, and then it came Cat Stevens, and that's <laughs> Yusuf Islam. Oh. Um, the name, names are, are things by which you wish to be known. That's basically it. I mean, I know my father gave me my name. And I will always be his son. Mm. Son of my father. But, there is a point where when you choose a name, you're showing that you're choosing your identity. That's quite a powerful thing if you're able to try and define your identity yourself. It's quite, you know, so some people never question that. They say, well, this is who I am. This is who my father was. And that's going to be the way it is. You know, but Again, because of the fact that I'd never really belonged here or there, then I was able to choose you know
0: does anyone still call you Steve or Steve on all or old cat
1: Or oh, the other day yes this old promoter friend I met again uh, you know was still calling me Steve <laughs> so I was too embarrassed to sort of correct him but um you know later on I he'll I'll, I'll get used to Yusuf uh, you know and this is the other uh, interesting point is that even as Stephen, Steve. I always liked the name Joseph. So, what does it mean? Well, it's I'm like now.
0: Destiny.
1: Yeah, but yeah. No, no. I chose it because of that. Yeah, no,
0: yeah.
1: The reason is, but the the point is that, okay. As I always liked the name, so I I went towards the thing that I I, I was attracted to.
0: Because oh, I read that you felt that the story of Joseph was particularly poignant to you. It was,
1: it was because I read the Quranic... Um, yeah. The, the, the um the chapter in the Quran called Joseph. Um, there's a chapter in the Quran called Mary. Mm. A chapter in the Quran called Abraham. And one called Noah. But the one that... Uh, re- I mean, there's lots of other names of other chapters, but uh, this was the story that really mm. shook me. Because, and, and it's interesting that... It, it's a kind of um, a representation of the centrality of of prophets that you know from the Old Testament in the Quran that made me realise this is not a new religion; it's a continuation of the same religion, but it's the new, it's the latest, mm. you know. And so that's quite interesting too. And, and so, in other words, it was that connection with my past. And uh, yeah, that made sense.
0: When you were young, did you ever imagine that you were destined for a special life, or did anyone else suggest that?
1: I was kind of treated slightly differently in in, in certain occasions, and uh, because I was the pride and the talented one within the family. I mean, mm. I, yeah, even a long time ago. So maybe that. I, mean, I used to draw, and then you know, people used to compliment me and on the fact that I, you know my drawings were so beautiful and so you know, kind of uh, uh, developed at an early age. And then, you know, and then, of course, the music separated me from, you know, again, from, uh, from others who were doing different jobs. Mm. So, that's and it.
0: As a very young boy, you, you experienced the, the breakup of your parents' marriage. Did, did you, was that in any way responsible for you escaping into a sort of cosier world of music and, and even songwriting?
1: I do I need a psychologist or a psychiatrist to help me with this one. I don't, I don't, I mean my life is, the great thing about my family is we always, no matter what the arguments and even uh, the separation between, it never affected our cohesion as a family, which is very important because I would think that with other families you've probably got the problem of either having to be with one or, or the other of your parents was really, this never happened because mm, yeah. they stayed together.
0: Mm. But I mean, I read that you were often trying to keep them together, and I, I felt that perhaps you've, you've played a very unifying role throughout your life, really, through music, through religion, through your charity work. Do you, do you feel that is the case?
1: Uh, I think so. Do I think so. Um, if, if, if there's a reference to, you know, the bridge builder or the peacemaker, I hope that I would uh, you know fit that role because that's what I enjoy I I think it's necessary
0: You've always come across as a very shy person so performance seemed a very sort of incongruous career for you almost is that fair to say?
1: True, and I don't know I mean that's probably why I drank so much before I went on stage in the early days but by the time you've done it about a hundred times when you're not drinking, but I mean, after you've been on stage a few times, that that kind of fear thing wears off. So probably, well, let's face it, one of the first things I ever did as a, as a public performance was like, top of a pops with 6 million people watching, you know. <laughs> so that was the big, once you've done that kind of a jump, you know, the rest is kind of more or less uh, not, not that challenging.
0: I've interviewed many artists over the years, and most of them describe their talents as gifts from God. Presumably you'd go along with that. Yeah, of course. But did you always feel that from the start, that somehow it
1: was... A gift? Mm. Oh, definitely a gift, yeah, absolutely. And the great thing was, you know, I could enjoy it myself. Mm. I mean, I partook of the gift myself. Mm. And that's partly why I was, you know, I wrote those songs because I enjoyed Writing them, or getting them, all this, or you know, being inspired and writing them.
0: Mm. You worked early on with Jimi Hendrix. How do you feel about the way people like him have been deified almost because they died young?
1: I think people are missing the message. <laughs> it's because you know, if a person can die, then it can't be, can't be worshipped. Only that which doesn't die is worthy of being worshipped. That's the way I understand it now. But for what he did, you know, as an innovator of guitar and, 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 uh, and rock music, you know, he's, he's probably, you've uh, he got the best of Jimi Hendrix.
0: Because well, he's not, what saying, well, his music will live off. Exactly. So as it yeah, yeah. In interviews I've radio, you've sort of come across as, as ashamed of the sort of lifestyle you led in the early days. Um, why is that? Because isn't, that, isn't
1: our past experience all what makes us what we are today? True, true. But um, referring to the past too much can, can hold you down um, and can, in a way, be sometimes painful because you remember things that maybe other people don't even know about. And, uh, you know, so not, not everything that was projected of that time was great. And that's the other point, is, you know, there was um there's a serious reason why I didn't want to stay in that kind of world. And the reason was because probably there was a lot of uh, disappointment, a lot of uh, stress, anxiety, and and pain that goes along with it. Paranoia, all sorts of things. Mm.
0: Do you think in a way, though, your colourful lifestyle made your music more interesting, almost?
1: I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, the, uh, the combination and growing up in the middle of the West End, you know, like that. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great opportunity, isn't it? It's a great chance I, I, I got of being, of, of being in the centre of all this mixed, uh, varied uh, influences and then given a chance to have a voice and sing about and sing and and write.
0: You came up with some great names for some of your albums, which are almost like children's stories. Was that the idea?
1: I think so. I think I've always... Yeah, I mean, children's uh, children have always been... I've always loved children in some respect. Even when I was young, I, I kind of had a... You know, like like some people say, you stop growing up. You know what I mean? At a certain point, you... you, you I don't know where I stopped, but I mean, I, I do still maintain a naivety, which I hope still connects me to the world of children, mm. because children do have that innocence and that and that understanding of life which has not yet been corrupted, and I think I hold on dearly to that.
0: You did some wonderful animation, particularly on Teaser and the Firecast. Do you ever wish that you perhaps explored that avenue a bit more, perhaps even made feature films with animation and so oh, on? Oh, I've
1: been offered to do Numbers as well recently. <laughs> like, you know, Numbers is an interesting theory tale. No, but that, that never bothered me. I mean, what, what, if, I was, if I was laying around doing nothing, but I was actually active working and producing songs and, and ideas, which overtook my interest in cartoons. Is there any
0: one song or album that you consider your masterpiece
1: You'd have to look at uh, Tief for Tillerman probably, and Teaser. You know, they kind of blend together. It's being probably the the, the, the the most unique and inspired of my catalogue or, or career or my or all my songs and recordings, probably. If but but it doesn't mean you know mm. only look at that because I mean again I was one to never to hang around I'd like to move for fear of the fact that I might turn into a probably a cartoon of myself
0: Mm. Before you quit as as an artist, how satisfied were you with your career as a singer-songwriter?
1: I probably think I was getting more and more, less enamoured by the music business, definitely Mm. And, and probably slightly less inspired You know, I wrote great songs and I still think that, you know, but it's like Bach. You could listen to some of his latest, I was brilliant. But was it like, you know, his first, like, oh, you know what I mean? It it probably wasn't. And so that's why today perhaps I, I enjoy what I'm doing much more. And I'm able to do it because I feel like I've almost come back to being an amateur again, which is where I started. And that's where there's no borders again, which is pretty good. You know, I haven't got these big contracts holding me down and, you know, big entourages waiting for me to tour. I haven't got that. So I'm kind of fairly free.
0: Legend has it that you decided to devote yourself to the Islamic faith after nearly drowning in 1976. How, how can you be so convinced that it was divine in the intervention that saved you? And after all, people would argue, well, you were put that position in the first place.
1: I was there! Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Can you tell us a, a bit more about that, that incident, as
1: it were? Or? It's one of the incidents that, you know, I mean, you, as, as a... I'm sure everybody at some point is, you know, I'm not unique in this. You know, we looked up at the heavens and we thought, where does it end, you know? Mm. And what really does happen after death? Because as a young person, you know, you just don't believe, you don't want to believe it's going to stop that life stops and so therefore comes the question you know well what happens to me uh, at death and for that reason um, we start to you either reject that thought and you don't, don't bother about it anymore until you know it's probably too late or you go on some kind of quest to find out and that will lead you to the spiritual realm, without doubt, because there's no way. If you, if, you, if you take man as as a physical entity, then for sure he dies and there's nothing more. But uh, but if you take man as a spirit as well as a body, then you realize that there's a whole other world of possibilities. And that's where I got interested in all the different religions. Yeah,
0: I think most people kind of got the image that you left a sort of life of luxury to to have a sort of spartan existence, to what extent was, was that the case? How I would
1: say my p- penthouse in Brazil was probably the most spartan of all penthouses <laughs> that there ever were and only when I got married I started to realise what curtains were <laughs> you know, that's, the, that's the truth, I mean apart from that I used to live in hotels so everything was done for me, but, uh, but you know Establishing a home with a house, that, that's really, that's the beauty of, of, uh, of women, you know, how they o- uh, ornament a man's life,
0: mm.
1: with home, with love, with, um, with beauty.
0: You, in 1981, auctioned off a lot of the sort of memorabilia from your pop career. Um, was that because you, it was sort of inappropriate to your faith in particular to sort of have material memories such as that, or
1: couldn't house them anymore, or and did you keep any back? No, I'd never kept I mean, that they, they all went apart from the percussion instruments because right. again, I'd studied as much as I could at that point of the issue of music and all that instruments and I said, well, to be safe, let's just call it a, let's, let's sell all this mm. it's like, But let's keep the percussion, so for, for years I had this box of percussion which did nothing, yeah. and uh great stuff from Brazil especially I mean you know I was really into it have
0: you ever regretted parting with any of that stuff and, and has anyone offered you any back
1: almost? no i probably you know my, my children are the ones who really miss those things because they see these pictures of these things but actually my black guitar which was probably my most favourite of all instruments was stolen anyway twice yeah. actually once it was stolen we got it back miraculously And the next time it was stolen, that was it, it was gone.
0: There were rumors that you were going to perform at Live Aid in 1985. True. They were true, were
1: they? True. I mean, I was there backstage ready, but I was going to sing a cappella, and I think that worried the promoters. Although the full explanation as to why I was never given a spot has never really come to light. And there are are sayings that all... uh, what was it the call in the gang came on and, uh, and then I, I heard that Elton ran o- overran and there was other problems but essentially I, it was never really explained to me but I said well that's written it was written that I was not meant to be on live aid and uh,
0: what were you going to sing
1: acapella I keep it as a secret Okay. <laughs> no, but actually, it was it was a song I wrote. I wrote called "The End," mm-hmm. uh, but nobody ever got to hear it.
0: Do you feel that they were fearful that you might preach or something like that? Maybe, that maybe. Mm.
1: But I was incredibly sensitive and, and, and uh, aware of what the rules of you know a pop concert was. So I was in uh, you know, but this was probably going to be fairly unique, but not out of order. But um, there you go.
0: It's possible that some people might view your sort of self-imposed exile from the music world as a sort of waste of your talents. What would you say to those people?
1: I think they were probably right in as much as perhaps the Muslim community didn't benefit as much from what I could do because of the taboo of music generally, you know, within the... uh, Muslim world, in in the say in the conservative Muslim world, which I actually got more attached to perhaps than than the cultural world, and and because of that, it was a great thing for them to see that someone so famous as myself and so you know um, respected become a Muslim, and it made them really ponder themselves about what they might have. <laughs> you know. They said, well, have we missed something here?" You know, some of them they grow up with their faith. So they don't really discover it. For me, it was a gigantic discovery. You know, so but and so they, they for them it's a feel good factor. But because of this taboo, um, and because I took a very safe, you know, course, and, and then nothing really developed. But looking back, I don't I don't regret that because I think that's part of. It's, it's an important phase. Which separates, you know, if you like, my past from my present, and my future. And, uh, you know, I think, I don't know what other analogy there is to that, but uh, whether you go on a mountain, you come back down. You know, while you're on the mountain, you're not really thinking about all the things that are down there because you're in a new, you know, hemisphere. And in that hemisphere, you're discovering a whole new world in a way. But, you know, comes a time when you've got to get back down in the market there and <laughs> buy some food. Did
0: I get the impression, then, from what you just said, that you were told to put all that behind you? No, in fact and you necessarily didn't want to? No, I always got the impression that it was your own decision. It was my own decision. Right. Even
1: I had a, a, a... There was an imam at the uh, in, in the central mosque. I used to always ask him, you know, for, for difficult questions, you know. And he actually encouraged me to continue making uh, records but maybe stop performing because at that time I was probably jiving too much. I I don't know but anyway, he saw that this was still possible for me to do that. But there was another world of opinion which probably was affected by the power and influence of Saudi Arabia at the time, maybe and they sort of set the the standard for what was perceived to be the right mode of Islam at that time I don't think necessarily today they have as much influence for whatever reasons because because the fact is if you go around the world there's a whole lot of different varieties of culture that Islam has produced Actually, Bosnia was one of those things that I discovered which made me really think twice again, because here was a European Islamic model, which I found, and it was and it was very close to what I'd, I'd been born with, it was Europe. And not only that, it had a kind of a Balkans kind of flavor to it, so I've got memories of my Greek upbringing, you know, which is all the same kind of area.
0: Do you think you will ever regret spending so many years away from your music?
1: No. No, 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 no. No, because again, as I said, uh, th- there was a point where I'd, I'd written enough, I'd, I'd done as much as I almost could. And this was now the end of that. That's what I called the last album, Back to Earth. I was quite, quite certain about that.
0: You really thought that was it, you would never return to it?
1: As, as Cat Stevens, if you like, yes. Right. That's, that's what I was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then... And then um, you know, what was to happen after that was to be revealed. And and so it was, you know. I mean, gradually I realised... And, and at a certain point, I realised what an impact my music had on people, which I never quite understood when I was making it.
0: So stepping away from it really did give you a proper perspective on your on career? I
1: think so. I, well, these days, it's much clearer.
0: But how often did you think about Cat Stevens during your years away?
1: Don't forget, Cat Stevens is, is, is me. If you like, if you like, it's just it's the, the the terminology has to be changed here. The Cat Stevens career, and about me in that time. If you're talking about how I was in that time, how how did I th- how do I remember my early years? I remember them as as a, as, as a, a life of a, of a struggle, a lot of disappointment very high moments, but always, I would say, as a traveller. So never having put my bags down. In fact, even peace train says, pick your bags up, you know, let's go. (laughs) Peace train means you've got to go somewhere, not, it's not, you've got to move from your position to somewhere else. And I think I was always on the move. I don't think I stopped. I think I'm continuously moving.
0: From an outside. Point of view, it looked as if you kind of wanted to disappear for certainly for a period of time into the Islamic faith and concentrate on that. Um, and yet, gradually, you became a sort of spokesperson for the Islamic faith. Was that something you um, approached with reluctance, or that you were kind of persuaded to do because you were a useful, high-profile person?
1: I think that's what happened. You know, hey, uh, you know, Steven says this or that, or they'd refer to me as Cat Stevens and then then that would mean that you get a uh, you know, you'd be heard and so I was useful as a spokesman probably and uh, encouraged to move towards that direction but really I wasn't really suited for it because I was not aware of what kind of entrapments were waiting for me (laughs) all along the road but um, but, you know, that was it that was kind of another learning curve you may say but still people are you know, confused because they, inter- they they confuse the religion with the poli- the politics of the time, and so therefore that is probably the worst decision I made was to ever become or to try and be coaxed into being um, a spokesperson for a political comment on the thing which really has very little to do with the spirit uh, of Islam itself. Even Muslims are confounded.
0: Have you felt that you're a misunderstood person?
1: Yes, I take that as my. I always say this that you know Nina Simone's "Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood." That's my permanent you know motto, uh, motto or anthem or whatever. That's it. You know, oh, I love that song.
0: In what areas in particular do you feel you've been misunderstood? Do you think you're understood as an artist?
1: No, artistically I think I've been understood, but the person behind the art and they have again. There's always been two 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 kind of perceptions. Mm-hmm. One is the the inner life or you know my my. Of inner existence or my personal existence yeah. and the public existence and perception. And that's always, even as Cat Stevens, if anybody came up to me and said, Hey, Cat, deal with him, please. you know, <laughs> <laughs> Cause, you know I was known as Steve. Because yeah. if you knew me, you knew my. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there's that little dichotomy between the real, my personal thing, you know, life, and the public persona. Hmm. So that was already way there. So that's kind of continued, in a way, um, and that's why I, I, I do now feel it's important to communicate more of the inner perception, because otherwise people will not make sense of something like my life, which you know I think is still incredibly interesting and can be educational, you know, as an example for others who want to take reference.
0: Do you know if people, particularly Cat Stevens fans, converted to Islam because you did, because of you? Yeah,
1: some did. I mean, there was the, the one of the girls that I was going to, I was thinking of marrying, was a convert.
0: May we you know if you're still in touch with Patty Darwinville.
1: No, but we met, we crossed paths at, uh, I can't remember how many years ago, but uh, in Germany. Mm. Uh, I think they were trying to set it up for her to walk on stage, just as I'm being interviewed, but Thank God they told me about it before. But, and we had our, our own meeting. Mm. And uh, I met her husband. Uh, it was great to me, you know, mm. great to meet.
0: You returned to the recording studios in 1995. One imagines that was a, a terrible sort of dilemma in your mind. Was that the case, or had you long decided before then that you would pick up a microphone again? Mm.
1: It was certainly not premeditated, it was something which natural and connected to that time and the needs at that moment.
0: Because originally you turned away from music in favour of religion, you, you know, it, it seems you're now ter- as you're now turning back to music, some people may assume you're turning away from religion, which is presumably not the case.
1: The premise is wrong. Not turning away from music to religion, but um, turning from the music business to getting on with life. Right. And I think religion is perceived as being almost detached from life and that's not quite true and that's what that's the hence the reason why in life there is music but that I took some time in doing some other things before I got round to so I would say that the um, fallow musical period uh, was one in which I was extremely active um, doing you know building institutions schools learning bringing up a family um, doing humanitarian work and um, sometimes being an occasional spokesman and you know, for the Muslim community, but music has an important place—not quite as important in the Muslim,
0: mm.
1: you know, scheme of things, mm. um, as in the West—but um, still a very important place in connecting and helping. Uh, I would say.
0: May you we know how being a father has affected your outlook on
1: life? Being a father, of course, is a great responsibility. At the same time, it's great fun. Um, to have kids growing up, and at least you see, um, as you grow old, and perhaps you can't do as many things as you know you used to do, but your kids can, and um, as that's the great, it's the great uh, not wheel of life. But it's it's the great opportunity we have is to watch our children grow, um, and it also makes sense of father and son also there's a lot of reality to that song.
0: And um, how much songwriting and painting do you do now?
1: Um, I mean now because of the age of the computer I'm much more into my Adobe Photoshop and uh, (laughs) Um, I find all that really great you know it's incredible and I've got as far as Songs of concern, I mean recently I've written quite a few songs, I've, I've recorded some of them, um, new arrangements, uh, some, some of them of old songs and some new songs. One which I've completed, almost completed recently in real world with, all, or with the same team as mm-hmm. Peter Gabriel's, um, kind of some new songs which are again based on the kind of vocal and percussion uh, format. but. Very interesting stuff. But you know, I don't write every day. So a thing may strike me, an idea may, and I might write it down in my little book or put it on my little electronic jotter, you know, and that's what technology does for you.
0: How do you compare your achievements as a Muslim to your achievements as a singer-songwriter?
1: I view them the same, that I've never satisfied with whatever I've done. I've always believed I can do better. Yeah, I mean that's that's what drove me before, and I suppose drives me now. And What do you hope to achieve in
0: the rest of your
1: life? Um, I hope to provide a little bit more insight, as or to provide a a bridge of understanding for those from both sides to, who need to know what's going on uh, on the other side. The way people are perceiving Islam today is frightening. I can understand if that's the Islam that that they're that. That existed, I'd be frightened of it too. And perhaps in the minds or, uh, or the distortions which have been seen can be really put down to the fact that some people have distorted Islam. And so, therefore, you know, you tell me the Islam you don't like, and I probably don't like it either. But the Islam which I understand is connected to, you know, everything positive. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and so, therefore, I'd like to be able to help people to understand that positive contribution Islam can make to a person's life. I mean, after all, who knows, I might have been dead mm. had I continued on the path that I was on mm. before. And that's what some of my fans are writing with. Sometimes people say, well, why did he turn his back on music? You know, I say, well, you know, if you see what, what what's happened to some mm. rock stars, yeah. maybe you'll say it's a, it was a good thing. And that's the point.
0: How would you like to be remembered after you do die?
1: Um, well, it's not a matter how i have been remembered. How I'm seeing, being seen on the other side is more important. <laughs> yeah, but
0: nonetheless...
1: And that's, that's critical.
0: How would you like people to view your earthly
1: contribution? Um, no, I don't think I've got an answer for that, because that's not my objective. If it was, if people would write what they probably want. It's like the same as what I managed to get on my father's grave, which was, you know, to God we belong and to him we return. You know, it's all God's. It's not mine. And anything good I've done, you know, I'm very lucky to have been able to do it.
0: There are obviously many different religions in the world and people from those religions believe very passionately that they are on the correct path. How would you feel if you get to the end of your life and find that it was actually a different path or that it was the correct one, or perhaps there isn't even a God at
1: all? How would you feel? No fear about that, because my understanding of faith has been enlightened by what I've learned from different religions. And and it was that unique aspect of Islam to be able to objectively look at other religions, which made it so unique. Because, for instance, it mentions... um, in the Quran, other faiths. That's quite important uh-huh. uh, because you won't necessarily find that in other uh-huh. books. And the reason it does that is because it actually re, reaffirms the centralness, centrality of all faith, and says, and this is where it goes wrong. Meaning that Islam is not other than. The uniting, uh, the, the true Islam, what I believe is, is that the message of God to man, um, which has been, from from beginning, you know, has been guiding man, but which was completed, if you like, with the advent of Islam. But it still means it's one thing, and whenever it becomes deviant from that central purpose of linking man with God, and arranging for his affairs, inequity amongst the rest of humanity. Um, and if it goes away from that, and if people start to say, we're the chosen ones, mm. or whatever, then that's where Islam makes a clarity, clarifies.
0: Do you think some people have, sort of because of your high profile, given you perhaps a status that you feel is undeserved, like you sort of regard you as a prophet of some kind?
1: No way, no, no. Well, if they do, I mean, that's a complete, completely opposite to what Islam teaches that there is no other prophet apart from the last prophet mm-hmm. and, and so I couldn't be a Muslim if, if that you know, if people believed that so, um, so Alhamdulillah, I mean, thank God I'm a Muslim so I, I, I know those kind of things are as fictional as some of the headlines that we read, you know